So what happens is they put this curtain underneath the visiting team's goal as they're shooting free throws. And when the visiting team is getting ready to shoot a free throw, they open up the curtain. And when the curtain opens, there might be something like this. Uh, you might see an Elvis impersonator or something like this. You might see a couple of Pikachus uh, or Pikachu. I don't know what, what's the plural of Pikachu. Anybody? Pikachai? I don't know what it is. But anyway, uh, you might see that. Uh, one time there were a couple of Indy 500 drivers there. Uh, Tony Kanaan and Simon Pagano were, were there one time. And then one time Michael Phelps pops out with all of his medals and his swimming cap on. And it's crazy. And the, and the thing that's so intriguing about this is that it works. It's more than just some college guys having fun, even though it is that. You can look at the statistics and you see that it works. Before the curtain of distraction, visiting teams were shooting about 68 to 72% of their free throws. They were making 68 to 72% of their free throws. Since they instituted the curtain of distraction, that number has gone down significantly. Visiting teams now are shooting only 60%. They're only making 60% of their free throws. That's a 10% difference, and it's made a difference in the outcome of some of the games. Because what happens is they're getting ready to shoot their free throws and then something else pops up and it gets in their head and, and that distraction keeps them from doing what they know they need to do from concentrating and hitting a free throw. And so what happens is they are unable to focus on what really counts at that particular time. And that's why we've been talking about what we've been talking about the last three weeks. I think this has been good for us because I believe that our struggle as Christians is not that we are intentionally bad. Right? I don't think that we're intentionally wicked. I don't think as Christians we go out and we just try to do bad stuff. Our problem is it's unintentional wastefulness. We don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to go out and I'm going to decide to do something really stupid. We wake up in the morning without really a plan sometimes as Christians. We have no idea what we're going to do that particular day to glorify God, to further the kingdom. And so what happens is we have this tendency to drift into mediocrity. You see, what really matters, right? What really matters is that we stay focused on what really matters. And what really matters, right? What really matters? I think there's a question that we can pose this morning that I think will help us if we keep it in our minds, we keep it at the forefront of our minds, maybe post it on our refrigerators or, or whatever we need to post it on every day, every morning when we wake up, uh, to ask ourselves this question, what is the very best use of me? What is the very best use of of me. I think we would manage our time better, we would manage our life better, we would manage our finances better if we woke up every morning and we just said, what is the, the very best use of me today? Because if we're not intentional, if we don't wake up every morning with a plan and we intentionally set out to do something for, for the Lord, what happens is life allows us to drift into really big investments of our time into things that really don't matter all that much. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have a tendency to focus on things in life that really don't count for much if we're not intentional about the way that we're living our lives. Maybe you've heard this phrase before. It's a business phrase. It's been around for years, and it goes something like this. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Have you heard that before, right? The problem is a lot of Christians don't really understand what the main thing is, and that's where the Bible helps us. 
The Bible, as we close our Making Our Lives Count series, our, the Bible says this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, the only thing that counts. You, if you've got your Bibles out or if you're taking notes, you might want to write that down or highlight it or circle it. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Nothing counts more than that. There's no better use of you. There's no better use of your time than to love well, to love people like Jesus loved people. In fact, any use of you apart from love is a waste of our time. You can do whatever you want to do. And that sounds like a pretty strong statement, I know. It's not original with me. But you can do whatever you want to do. And if it's separated from love, it doesn't count. It's a waste of time. Paul said it. The Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And this is how it starts. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of the angels, but didn't love others, I would be only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So here's what Paul is saying to us. This is what God is saying to us through Paul. Nothing counts. Without love. He's saying you might be very articulate. You might be able to really put phrases together. And you could, you've, got a, uh, you've got a vocabulary that's, that's bigger than Webster. And, and you can just you, you can articulate your thoughts and your words out there. And you can speak so powerfully that you can move people's hearts and minds. But you do it without love. Paul says it doesn't count. And he's saying, you might be smart, you may be a theological genius, you might possess great spiritual knowledge, but if you don't know all of this stuff uh, without love, and you use it to just be legalistic without love, it doesn't count. Your faith literally might be able to make immovable things move, but if they move for any reason other than love, it doesn't count. You could be known all over the world. You could be really, really famous for how much time, for how much money you give to charity, for just how good you are, for just how talented you are. But without love, it doesn't count. You say, Ron, that sounds pretty extreme, right? I mean, it, it, it certainly accounts for the people that you help, right? Yeah, it probably does. But from the perspective of heaven, Paul is saying, in God's eyes, it doesn't really count. You might help somebody out down here, but if you're doing it without love and if you're doing it without being in the name of Christ, it doesn't count. And here's how heaven does math. It's very simple, and we need to learn this. Anything minus love equals nothing. That's how heaven does math. Anything minus love equals nothing. Uh, Lauren shared a statement with us a little while back that we've been using around here some. She says, the math ain't mathin', right? And I think that's a problem with a lot of Christians. It's not adding up. We say we believe this, but really by our actions and by our lack of love, it's really not adding up. In other words, the math ain't mathin'. And, and, and our lives should be 
so full of love, but what happens is a lot of lives are unfulfilled because we're not doing things in love. We're doing things, but we're not doing them in love. And our math ain't, ain't mathing. And if you live an unliving an unloving life, you, you are living a wasted life. I didn't say that. Paul did. You're, you're wasting your time. That's why Paul starts off the next chapter with this. Let your, or let love be your highest goal. Nothing is more important. That's the highest thing that we can do. It's the best use of you. And Paul got that from, from Jesus. Right? You remember the story? There was one time when, when a lawyer came to Jesus and he said, basically in a nutshell, Jesus, there's so many laws, there's so many commandments, there's so many rules. Which one counts the most? And what did Jesus say? Oh, they're all the same. No, he didn't say that. This is what he said. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's basically saying this. You know what, you know what counts? Love counts. Love God. Love people. That's it. And we make it so much more complicated than that. We can talk a good game, but what counts is when we back it up with love. When love hits the streets. When we go out and we share the love of Jesus with people that maybe would never darken the door of a church until you share the love of God with them and then maybe they would. Love that counts is a verb. How many remember DC Talk? Remember DC Talk? wasn't all that long ago they had a song called Love is a Verb. Right? It's, it's action. Right? It's something that you do and it's easiest to see sometimes when it's the hardest to do, and here's why love counts the most when it's most difficult. Love counts the most when it's most difficult. I heard a story, and this might be a preacher's story, but I heard a preacher talk one time about being at the airport, and there was a, a uh, an irate traveler in line in front of the preacher who was waiting to get on his plane, and the flights had been canceled because of bad weather, and there was a long line of people. Everybody's wanting to reschedule their flights, and this guy in front of him is just so angry, and he's letting this poor young lady just absolutely have it. He's chewing her up one side, down the other, and this lady is working just harmlessly as a ticket agent, and 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 she had nothing to do with the dilemma. She had no nothing to do with why the flights were canceled or anything like that. And she's trying to help this guy, and and he's just spewing all of his anger on her. But the preacher sat back and he noticed just how patient she was and how kind she was, and she never returned anger for anger anger. And he just couldn't help but think she she's got to be a Christian in order to do this. So finally, the man stomps off in a huff, and it was the preacher's turn to step up to the young. lady lady at the counter and said, listen, before we even begin, I got to say something. I noticed how that man treated you just a moment ago and how gracious you were to him in return. What's your secret? And she smiled and said, oh, that's easy. That man is going to New York and I just sent his luggage to Mexico City. That's not what Jesus would do. I'm just saying, that's not how, how you love. And if I asked us, how are we doing on our love report card? How are we doing in this area? I think all of us would give ourselves a pretty good grade, right? We would say, you know what? Um, I'm, doing, I'm doing pretty well because here's the thing. We give ourselves too much credit sometimes, I think, for a kind of love that doesn't take too much effort, Right? 
Because here's the deal. Most love really is an investment. Right? We invest in people because we see something about them that's lovely. Or there's something about them that encourages us. Or there's something about them that fills us or rewards us in some way. And so we're willing to invest time in those people that can make us feel a certain way or do something for us. In other words, I love you some because I love me more and I love what you can do for me. And Jesus said, that kind of love doesn't count. He put it this way in Luke chapter 6. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. See, we're no different from the world if we're only loving people because of what they can do or the reward that we get. Jesus said there's a kind of love out there that even pagans are capable of. Right? And they are far from God. They're far from the Holy Spirit. But they can love with that kind of love that you're showing sometimes. They get something in return. Anybody can love like that. Jesus said that kind of love doesn't count. Because that's not really loving. That's bargaining. It's I'll love you if. I'll love you if you're always nice to me. If you're always kind to me. If you stay pretty. If you're successful. If you never hurt me. If you never gain weight. But Jesus says that love that counts like that doesn't count. The love that really counts is if you don't get any kind of return for your investment. The kind of love that Jesus is talking about counts the most, not when it's if, but when it's even if. Because that's the way God loves you. I'll love you even if you do that, or you look like that, or you decide to go there or do this. That's how Jesus loves. John Weiss is the minister, or is the minister of Southland Christian Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and, and he made a list from A to Z of all of the kinds of people that God loves. I think I've shared this list with you before, but I want to share it with you again. I've tweaked it some to fit our context. Here's the list that John Weiss put out there: people A to Z who God loves, just to grasp how big. Just how enormous God's love is. Okay? Are you ready? We're going A to Z. So if I miss a letter, you let me know. All right? God loves ambulance drivers, accordion players, airline pilots, artists, astronauts, acrobats, the Amish, the Anglicans, astronomers, adulterers, atheists, and addicts. God loves babies, Bible readers, Baptists, boy bands, blondes, brunettes, old women with blue hair. He loves Bobby Knight and Joe Biden. He loves the bullied and the bully. He loves the brave the bossy, the bitter, the burned out, and this one's for Caleb, banjo players. God loves Canadians, Cambodians, Cubans, Mark Cuban. He loves congressmen, crooks, creeps, cheaters, crystal meth junkies, and the Cubs. I added that one. God loves dads, Dwayne the Rock Johnson and Dolly Parton. He loves deadheads, dead beats. He loves drag racers and drag queens, Duke Ellington, the Dukes of Hazzard, and Donald Trump. God loves Elon Musk, Ed Sheeran, and Elvis. He loves environmental activists, evolutionists, and M&Ms. M&M, M&M, the, uh, the rapper, not, not, he doesn't eat m M&M. He may, I know he doesn't need to. Anyway, God loves the faithful, the faithless, the fearful, the fearless. He loves people from Finland and France and people who think Philippines is spelled with the letter F. 
God loves good people, grateful people, generous people, greedy people. He loves glamorous and gullible people, grouchy and goofy people. God loves homosexuals and people who are homophobic and all the homo sapiens in between. God loves people from India, from Indiana, introverted people and intense people. He even loves IRS auditors. Does he? Yeah, he does. He does. Uh, God loves late night talk show hosts named Jimmy, Fallon or Kimmel, singers named Justin, Timberlake or Bieber. God loves Chloe, Courtney, Kim, Kendall, and Kylie Kardashian. God loves living, people living in Laos, people who feel lousy about themselves. He loves librarians, landscapers, lawyers, and moms who pack lunch boxes. God loves ministers, missionaries, Mennonites, Methodists, morticians. He loves people who are malicious, meticulous, mischievous, and mysterious. He loves people who collect marbles, and he loves people who have lost their marbles. He loves Madonna. He loves Miley Cyrus. God loves Nick Jonas, Nick Cannon, Nick Saban, Nick Lachey, Nick Nolte, Nicholas Cage, Nicki Minaj. He loves obstetricians, orthodontists, optometrists, ophthalmologists, and people who are writing obituaries. He loves pimps, pornographers, prostitutes, pill poppers, pedophiles, and the police who arrest all of them. God loves the Queen of England and members of the band Queen and Queen Latifah. God loves the people of Russia. He loves the people of Rwanda. He loves real estate agent and the server who brings us refills. He loves people in South Africa, South Carolina, South Dakota, and the south side of Chicago. He loves smokers and strippers and serial killers. God loves Tom Hanks, Tom Cruise, Tom Jones, Tommy Lee Jones, and Tom Brady. God loves telemarketers and even televangelists. God loves people from the United Kingdom, the Ukraine, United Arab Emirates, the United States. He loves used car salesmen, umpires, and Uber drivers. God loves vegetarians and Virginians, vegans in Vietnam, and Vladimir Putin. God loves Will Ferrell, Will Smith, Will I Am, and William Shatner. He loves waitresses at Waffle House and a woman who weighs you at Weight Watchers. God loves x-ray technicians, xylophone players, and people who went to Xavier University. And God loves you. He loves tall you short you, young you and old you, employed you, unemployed you, popular you, outcast you, happy you, sad you, content you, discontent you. God so loved you that he sent his son to die for you. And last but not least, God loves Zac Efron, Zoe Dachanel, and Zeke Elliott and people who are preparing for a zombie apocalypse. Can we just give God a hand for all the people that he loves? Because here's the deal. Here's the deal. He loves everyone. He doesn't approve of everybody's actions, but he loves them. Right? And, and if you didn't want to clap for, for those people, you might be thinking some of those people that you mentioned, they're not on my love list. I got to work at that a little bit. I've said this many times before. I hope you don't ever get sick of, of hearing it. But Wayne Smith used to always say, I know the Bible says you're not supposed to hate anybody, but if that ever changes, I got my guy picked out. And, and so it's not going to change, guys, gals. It's not going to change. We're not off the hook, right? Because here's the deal. God doesn't love people for who they are. He loves people because of who he is. That's a love that counts. It doesn't go out and react to people. In other words, it doesn't wait to see what someone gives back. It just loves. It just loves. 
It reflects the love of Christ. Jesus also said this in Luke chapter 6. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. I got to be honest with you. I had a first last night. We were singing at a concert. I had a very first one. It, it irritated me just a little bit. And I hope they're not watching this morning. But anyway, uh, I was uh, singing at the concert. And when it was over, I go back and stand by the, the product table uh, last night. And thinking, well, maybe somebody liked what they heard. And they're going to buy a CD. And a lady comes up to the booth and asks me. She says, uh, hey, can I borrow $10 so I can buy that guy's CD? <laughs> I'm like, I was hoping to sell something. I'm like, are you, are you, I guess so. I gave it to you. Know, I didn't know. But do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. I think she'll repay me. If not, that's okay. Because here's what he says. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Right? You see, the love that counts does not come with qualifiers. And when you start to love people like this, it becomes very liberating because you are the one who is free to decide who you're going to love. Does that make sense? When we start to understand what God's love is really like, then it should be our goal to want to love like He loves. And it's completely non-discriminatory. It's not based on who the person is. It's based on who God is and the difference that he's made in our lives. Now, in our minds, we might be thinking, hey, I love everyone. I don't do bad towards anybody. Well, Jesus didn't say, don't do bad toward people. Well, he kind of said that, but that's not what he's getting at here. He said, love everyone. A lot of times we think, hey, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good guy because I'm not really doing bad to that person. But Jesus said, love everyone. And not just in theory, not just sit here and say, well, I got no problem with them. He says, get out on the street and start loving people. Start meeting people where they are. You see, we're really good at talking about what love ought to look like. But Jesus said, love that counts is something that we do. It has to be put into action. And one of the things I think that holds us back sometimes is, is, is this. Yeah, yeah, if I do good to, to someone that's, that's hard to love, they might not appreciate it. They might not respond. It might not be a good use of my time because they, they, they might not respond and they might not appreciate what I've done for them. And it'll be just a waste of time if I love somebody for no reason and they don't respond to that. Let me ask you a question. Was it a waste of time to treat people like Jesus treats people? Do you think that's a waste of time? You think Jesus ever wa wasted time loving people? You think about Judas, right? Was it a waste of time the night before Jesus dies for Jesus to wash Judas' feet? Was that a poor use of Jesus' time? I argue that it's not. It's never a waste to love someone and serve someone like God loves and serves us. Anytime you love like that, you're, you're offering. That is an act of worship toward God. And it's giving evidence that the Spirit of God is living inside of you. And it's in control of your life. Because that kind of love, it's not natural. That's not how we're naturally wired. 
This kind of love is supernatural, and it can only come from God, and it can only come when we surrender our lives to Him, we're baptized into Him, and we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us and leading us down that path. So what Paul means in Romans chapter 5 is this, and this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. What God does is he pours his love into our hearts and his love is so immense, it's so enormous that it just kind of overflows and it splashes out onto other people. And if your love is not splashing out onto other people, if God's love is not splashing out onto other people, what, what's causing it to, to stay in? Whatever, it is, whatever barrier it is that's preventing from that love of God that God has poured out on you, whatever is preventing you from pouring that onto, out onto someone else, you need to get rid of that. Because Jesus said, and Paul said, nothing counts more than this. Loving God, loving other people. The best use of me is to love you. To love people out here in the community. The best use of you is to love all of the people around you. But here's a problem. We start to drift into patterns of behavior that require the best of us and they count for so little. You know? I think it's because many of us have not accepted the love of Jesus and what he wants to give to us. For some reason, we've got this mental block. We don't feel lovable or we haven't really just soaked in the love of Jesus. And so we have this hole in our hearts and we start to fill it with other things rather than reflect on the love of Jesus and let his love fill our lives. We start getting distracted by other things. We fill our schedules with other things that really is not the best use of our time. And then we sit back and we say, Man, I don't feel as close to the Lord as I used to. I got this void in my life for some reason. There's just something missing. I don't feel like I used to. No. It's because we, you know, as, as Johnny Lee said in the soundtrack of Urban Cowboy, we're looking for love in all the wrong places. No. And it's hard for us to grasp sometimes just how big God's Love is, and it's hard to grasp sometimes this one truth that matters more than anything else. You can always count on God's love. I'll just be honest with you. You might not always be able to count on me. I'm going to try. I'm going to do my best. There's going to be times when I let you down. But you can always count on God's love. And in this life, we... We experience so much conditional love. It's just hard for us to count on any other kind. Because it's all we know. And so, you hear what I'm saying today and you think in your mind, yeah, I know God loves me. But here's what we do sometimes. We start to think this. Yeah, I know God loves me. But God would love me more if... Dot, dot, dot. Have you played that game before? God would love me more if I didn't drink as much. Or if my marriage was still together or better. Or if 
I hadn't done that awful thing years ago, or if I was a better dad, or if I knew more of the Bible, God would probably love me more then. God would love me more if I went on a mission trip. Listen to me. If you don't get anything else this morning, get this. You can't start doing anything or stop doing anything that would cause God to love you more than He already does. The reason that love never fails, the reason the Apostle Paul was able to say that love never fails is because it was never based on your nature. It was always based on God's nature. And His very nature is love. It's who He is. He can't help it. And listen to me on this because this is very important because this is, this, this is very different than how the world works. In the world, your love helps me feel valuable. It creates worth. But God doesn't love you because of your worth. God's love was created by your worth. Does that make sense? God doesn't love you because of your worth. God's love wasn't created by your worth. God's love is what creates your worth. I, I probably have confused you because I confused myself there. See, here's the deal. We're looking for worth in all of these things and the love of God, who you are as a child of God, that's what gives you worth. Does that make more sense? <laughs> and you might think, hey, I need to make some changes. You might, you might need to make some changes. That's true. Maybe there are some things you need to stop doing. Maybe there are some things you need to start doing. But even if you do make those changes, it doesn't change the most important truth that counts more than any other. You can always count on God's love. And this is hard for some people to get. Because we're in this spiritual battle. We're in this spiritual tug of war. And Satan, I believe, has embedded this lie into us so deeply we don't even realize that he's done it. Listen to what Paul has said in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. And this is my prayer for all of us, that we would understand the enormity of God's love for us. I want to close with this question as the rest of the worship team comes. Have you ever just sat and soaked in the love of God? Have you ever just sat there and let God love you instead of beating yourself up for stupid mistakes? Instead of trying to earn His love? Have you ever just sat there and meditated on just how much God loves you? The brother of Jesus said this, Jude verse 21, keep yourselves in God's love. If you keep yourself in God's love, it's going to bring out the best of you and it will be able to give the best of you to those who need it the most. And it's going to, it's going to turn the world on its ear if we love like he did. So I'm going to ask you to just stand with me for a moment.
And I want you to close your eyes. And before we start singing, I just want you to soak in the love of God.